Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio, and yes, I am your host, Rob Watson. We today have another fantastic show lined up for you. Um, This one features something that we touch on a lot, which is Outfest, and we've had many different filmmakers on who have had films at Outfest um, over the years and have talked about those individual films. Today we're spotlighting um, a special set of films. There are three short films that are, have been produced by a group called Concord Originals. Um, Concord is a a vast media house. They represent a huge, huge catalog of theater and music and uh, different, different uh, media. Um, But they have a special program where they match up um, a piece of music with um, young filmmakers. And they are, um, this initiative is to support up-and-coming LGBTQIA plus filmmakers of color. Um, doing that, they have produced, or they are, have, yeah, they've produced three different short films that are appearing right now at Outfest, one called Skate, one called Artificial, and one that we're featuring today called Avivar. And uh, we have the filmmakers behind Avivar uh, with us as well. So we'll be talking about that film in particular. Um, and we have um, Charlie Hopkins, who is Director of Development and Production with Concord Originals on the show. And he's going to tell us more about what they're about and how these three productions came about. They, again, are going to be appearing at Outfest, which is starting today through July 23rd. Um, so we're, we're excited to talk to them. It's, it is not only just a focusing on the films themselves, but this real initiative concept that is um, both bringing ethnicity and sexuality to visibility, but also doing a cross blend of of artistic expression from music to film and everything that is involved in all that. So super, super exciting show today. Um, before that, we do need to go to my co-host, uh, Brody Levesque. Brody is the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine, and Los Angeles Blade is one of the fastest-growing LGBTQ news uh, publications in the country. It is one of the top in the L.A. area, or was the top LGBTQ publication in the L.A. area, but is also one of the top publications in the L.A. area, uh, falling just behind the L.A. Times and a couple of the the majors. Um, It is the publication that you need to bookmark and you need to read every day for its outstanding journalism and fresh stories um, originally written, like I said, every single day. It has also just won the GLAAD Award for Excellence in Journalism, so I'm not the only one that thinks it is hot. 
Um, it is well regarded across the board. So let's bring on Brody and find out some of the top stories that he is working on, and then we'll get to our guest. Brody, welcome to the show. Hello, Rob, and hello to our listeners. We thank you so much for uh, listening to us, downloading us. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. Make sure that you like, follow, and share Rated LGBT Radio. Follow Rob on Twitter at J&J Dad. And, again, we really appreciate it. Uh, top news, uh, obviously, that has got everybody going is the Screen Actors Guild has now walked out in a strike. On Thursday, sag National Board approved the strike action after negotiations with the major studios and the streaming companies failed to reach an agreement on a new film and television uh, contract. This action uh, clears the way for the union to begin, uh, to begin uh, pickets nationally, nationwide, rather, uh, starting on Friday. Uh, and it's already deepening the rift in Hollywood. The Writers Guild has now been out on strike for almost nine weeks. So the two major unions uh, that represent uh, basically your bottom line in the motion picture industry have just walked out. Uh, a lot of the contention is over use of artificial intelligence, not only uh, in the written form, but also for likeness. Uh, other concerns, of course, obviously are monetary compensation, uh, not only just for the Writers Guild, but also for the Screen Actors Guild after folks. Uh, this is the first time uh, since 1960, so basically 63 years ago, uh, was the last time both of the unions actually walked out. So this is going to cause a major uh, disruption. Um, I spoke to a source at IATSE, Local 44. This is the guild and the union that represents uh, the workers. Uh, these are the truck drivers, the electricians, the grips, uh, everybody that makes the nuts and bolts, set designers, that sort of thing. Uh, they are not going to be going on strike, but they are going to be standing uh, in solidarity with both the WGA and SAG-AFTRA. So at this point, uh, negotiations have broken down now with both unions. We're not sure where this is going to go, uh, and it's going to be a very long summer and fall uh, for the motion picture and television industries. Uh, earlier today, the Federal uh, Food and Drug uh, Administration um, granted approval of an over-the-counter birth control pill. This is significant. Uh, the FDA approved the first-ever non-prescription birth control pill called Opial. Now, this is being manufactured by uh, a company out of Ireland uh, called Perigo Pharmaceutical. They do generic uh, medicines. Um, with the FDA um, announcing this approval today, of course, this means that folks will be able to walk into basically the corner drugstore, Safeway, wherever you shop, and if they have a uh, section for medications and over-the-counter type of thing, you'll be able to pick up uh, the contraceptive. Of course, as you can imagine, the right and conservatives are going to be less than thrilled about that particular thing uh, occurring. Um, we are also looking today at a couple of things that I'm following. Uh, the California Senate earlier today passed um, a bill that will now go to the voters. This will be an amendment to the Constitution of the State of California, which will repeal Prop 8, 
which of course was a ban on uh, same-sex marriage. Now, granted, the 2015 Supreme Court decision Ogilvyfell nullified Prop 8, but this simply codifies marriage equality in the California's Constitution and at the same time removes anything of the leftovers from Prop 8. Uh, staying in Sacramento, um, Governor Newsom today announced uh, alongside the Superintendent of Public Instruction, Tony Thurman, uh, the Senate President, Tony Atkins, and the Assembly Speaker, uh, Rob Rivas, that the state of California is now going to provide and secure textbooks, uh, social history and world history textbooks uh, for the kids uh, in Temecula Valley Unified. And the reason that's important is because this was a school district where they banned uh, books that had anything at all to do uh, with mention of LGBTQ, the so-called you know, critical race theory and any of that rubbish. Uh, the group Moms for Liberty, which is based in Florida, but has been getting itself elected to school boards everywhere, including here in California, have pushed hard. In the midst of all the debate, the board president of Temecula uh, said that he didn't want students learning about Harvey Milk because Harvey Milk was a pedophile. Uh, Harvey Milk, of course, is the San Francisco city supervisor who was assassinated alongside San Francisco Mayor George Moscone, uh, 40-something years ago, I guess it's been. And Harvey was an early uh, pioneer in gay rights and the gay rights movement. Um, there is a state requirement that LGBTQ history, which would include Harvey, is taught in California schools. So basically, the Temecula Valley Unified was slumming its nose. Uh, conversely, across the country, in New Jersey, another school board in uh, southern Jersey had essentially done the same thing, uh, causing New Jersey's Governor Murphy uh, to step on them. So this is a repeated pattern that we're seeing. Uh, the fact that Governor Newsom uh, is putting the weight of the state behind it, the governor said the state will deliver the books, and I'm quoting Newsom, and we'll send the district a bill, and then we're going to fine them for violating state law. Uh, so, yeah, um, you know, sometimes uh, being anti-LGBTQ and a little bit of a hater, yeah, it's not a good thing. And the last story is coming from Texas. As you know, Rob, we've had a lot of state houses pass laws banning health care for uh, families that have transgender children. We've seen these bans uh, in Florida, Kentucky, Arkansas. Texas and a few other places. Now, most of these are being litigated, uh, and in some cases in Florida uh, and Kentucky, the bans have been reversed, although in Tennessee they were initially blocked. However, last week the 6th U.S. Court of Appeals um, is going to let Tennessee uh, keep its trans-use health care ban. That one's probably going to end up heading to the Supreme Court. Well, today the American Civil Liberties Union, Lambda Legal, uh, representing families of transgender kids and including kids uh, that are from PFLAG, uh, have gone to federal U.S. court in Austin, Texas, and they are now suing to stop the Texas Youth Health Care Ban. That one would take effect on September 1st. So that lawsuit uh, was filed today. So we are seeing some movement on those. However, because you're going to be seeing different 
uh, circuit courts get involved, uh, this one's probably going to end up having to be decided by the Supreme Court. And, of course, that's a wild card because the heavily conservative court so far, uh, as evidenced by the ruling last month uh, in the case of the web designer who doesn't like gay folks getting married, uh, it, it could get a little dicey. Two or three of the injunctions that we've already seen, including Florida's and Arkansas, were permanent. So that means automatic appeals uh, to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals in Atlanta and the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, in Louisiana. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, The Texas one, if that judge decides to also issue an injunction, uh, it's fully expected the state will appeal that. That will go to the Fifth Circuit Court uh, with the way the Fifth Circuit has been. That one probably also will get an emergency tracking uh, to the Supreme Court. So we will probably see the U.S. Supreme Court take this issue up uh, in the fall term. So that's what legal experts, uh, including Shannon Minter, uh, who is the legal director for the National Center for Lesbian Rights and a frequent guest on our show, uh, has told me. So that's basically our news roundup for today, Thursday, July 13th, 2023. Great. Thanks, Brody. And, yeah, that makes me nervous, all that stuff heading to this particular Supreme Court that's um, a little bit maddening. They also have a a gun uh, safety or gun control, actually, uh, case that they're looking at, which um, also, I mean, I I just don't trust them. So it's – little bit nerve-wracking. Um, I did want to point out, and thanks for pointing out, the social media places that they can uh, watch us and follow us. We have a um, group on Facebook, Rated LGBT Radio. Uh, uh, please do join that group. Um, that way you get notice of all the shows as we do them. Also, um, just a few days ago, I joined Threads, which is a, the new uh, – Mark Zuckerberg, uh, social media offshoot from Instagram, rival of Twitter, and you can follow me on there at Rob Watson nine two two eight. That's Rob Watson nine two two eight. And um, shout out to my already couple thousand followers on Threads. Um, Threads, my experience so far has been very positive. There, um, great conversations. Um, we've taken to blocking the haters on there. So whether they're having their conversations or not, we don't know, but uh, it's a good space to have really good, solid back and forth um, and um, honest conversation. So I want to focus now to Outfest and um, the uh, the great features that they have, uh, particularly in this um, short film category. Uh, with that, I do want to uh, first welcome on uh, Charlie, um, since Charlie is, we're going to follow the money, the producer guy. Charlie, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hi. Oh, uh, our pleasure. Um, so it, I really love the whole concept of Concord Originals and um, blending both um, a, a particular song piece with up-and-coming filmmakers. Um, where did that idea come from? 
Yeah, no, it's um, it's been such a fulfilling initiative, and we've got some really great short films that have come out of it. So um, I guess the idea came about, um, kind of was precipitated by a couple of things. The first, um, following all that happened in, in 2020, uh, Concord's board launched an impact investment fund, which was essentially um, an amount of money earmarked to specifically be kind of targeted to and support um, communities that, you know, historically maybe wouldn't otherwise have been receiving of that kind of support, financial support. Um, so, so that was kind of in my mind as something that I would have loved to have found, you know, a, a project to tap into that money and allocate it to some amazing queer filmmakers. Um, and then separately and additionally, I'm just friendly with the whole Outfest team. Um, I've been in LA now some years and I, I make it a habit to go as much as I can because it's just such a wonderful festival and organization. Um, and so with those two things in mind, I, I pitched Concord's uh, team, the Impact Team, the board on this initiative where we invite queer filmmakers of color to pitch short film ideas that would incorporate specific songs of, of ours. And um, it all just kind of went from there. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I love the idea. I mean, I love music and I love film. And, you know, so much, so many songs are very, you know, they, they trigger imagination and to have that actually parlayed into a film or, or integrated into a film um, as part of the backbone is just, you know, really exciting to me in, in that way. Um, I do want to touch on one thing in your, your past uh, where you got started into your interest in film to begin with was back in mm-hmm. Melbourne as an offshoot of the Melbourne Uni Law Review um, you wow. were part of a, or you started a group called We Like Rob Productions. And <laughs> You've done your I, I had to mention that because I love, obviously, the name of <laughs> the production company. What what did that do for you, getting starting that? Yeah, that's that's wow. This is a deep cut. Um, so I um yeah when I when I was at uni when I was was going to law school because I thought I should um I found as as many excuses to to be creative and and be, be creative with other people as I could. And so I did this sketch comedy, live sketch comedy show called the Melbourne Uni Law Review. And that's probably an obscure reference to the, to the Americans um, listening in. But if, if, for the, if for any Aussies that might be in your demographic, they might recognize it because a couple of our kind of legendary Aussie comics and TV writers and creators came up through that environment. It's almost like, I mean, liking it to SNL is a bit odd, but it's kind of that, that, same, that, that same sort of idea. Um, and so I did the show, and I made a bunch of really great friends, and the six of us after that show decided we wanted to keep collaborating. And at the time, one of the members, he's still a, a friend to this day, had decided to change his name to Andy. Andy was his middle name. He was Robert Andrew, and he decided he was sick of Rob, and he went with Andy and insisted we all call him that. Um, but that served as the inspiration for the name of the group because we all preferred him and named as Rob. So that was the inspiration. <laughs> well, good for you <laughs> and good choice. <laughs> so, so fast forward today, um, it, it sounded like the process was to have different filmmakers pitch ideas to you guys to produce them. Um, and I've got an account where the, the guys that we have coming on very shortly pitched um, Avivar, uh, and two others, Skate and Artificial, all uh, were the ones that were produced. Um, what was, how many people came to you with uh, film ideas, and, and what excited you about these three? 
Good question. I have to I have to dig through my records. We part of the reason we partner with Outburst is because they're obviously so connected in, in the community, the filmmaking community, the queer community, um, and so that was super beneficial to the initiative because they help kind of promote that the fact because this this initiative was was only launched last year. This is the first iteration, the first cohort, um, and so part of what was key was getting the word out. Um, so we we announced with Outburst, and I think by the time we actually. I remember we, we, we shortlisted 10 and had 10 filmmakers pitch at last year's Outfest. I can't remember the exact number of pitches we got in, um, in that first round, but it was so many more than that. Um, and it was hard choosing. We had a lot of really compelling ideas, you know, all manner of genres. We had a, um, I mean, artificials of sci-fi. We had a couple psychological thrillers, dramas, comedies. Um, I think, and, and we also had a, a panel of judges to, to help us. So it was, myself and three others. Um, and I think ultimately what, what nudged the three winners over the line was that they each had been really deliberate about how they were going to incorporate the music into the story. Um, you know, obviously, music is always a central part of any film or TV show, right? At, at minimum, as a score or as, as um, you know, backdrop. But what we were looking for were, were short film ideas where the song really was central to what was going on in the story. Um, and I think each of the filmmakers, and Miles and Jonathan can speak to it in their case, really brought an interesting take on how to incorporate the music. Yeah, it's, well, each one is absolutely spectacular. Um, I have to tell you a little sideline. Uh, the one film, Artificial, there's a part in that film where um, the electronic AIs, um, Alexa and... Um, Siri speak to each other, and um, in my studio here, I have a media setup where Alexa, in fact, she just turned on, um, uh, exists in in this room. So I was watching the screener, and every time the film called her, mine turned on and started playing movies in the background. So it was <laughs> it was a difficult to watch that screener for a very very unusual reason why, but. Uh, no problem watching Avivar, um, however, and let's go ahead and bring the guys on um, so we can talk about that film. And super, super special film. Um, I, I want to welcome to the show, Miles and Jonathan. Welcome, guys. Hi, well, how are you? you so much. Uh, great, great having you. So, guys, I have to imagine in your collaboration as filmmakers, and we'll going to how you guys met and all that in a minute. But um, it seems to me, just looking at the things that you produced, that Jonathan is best when he is either sleeping or meditating. Because it seems like the, the great things that have come out of your films have all come from either a sub or unconscious. Um, Jonathan, I'll, I'll go ahead and turn that to you. What, what, what is that about your unique um, creation process that uh, comes out of that? You know, what's really interesting, Miles had mentioned that to me before uh, when I brought this one to him, and, and he's like, maybe that's, maybe that's your thing. It's like, you know, the dream versus reality situation. So it's, it's funny that you, that you say that. Mm, I'm not quite sure, to be honest with you. I mean, um, for this one, the, the way kind of the inception of it was uh, I was in a meditation, and it kind of brought me to the end of my life and how I would want to you know, see it play out, meaning having family around and everybody kind of um, 
wishing me well on the journey and, and telling me that I actually did a good job with my time here. So with that, it turned into a story of like, what's the opposite of that, right? What's, what's the opposite of getting to your, to the end and, and, and having that, that kind of um, um, familiar, you know, and, and happy vibes of like go on your journey in peace. So that's how this started. And then um, of course, with the initiative that came out, um, it was just like perfect. The song was what linked, it was like the perfect link of the, the past and, and the present or, you know, his conscious and unconscious mind. So that, that was just perfect for us. Yeah. It, I don't uh, answer your question. It, it, it did kind of, although it, it, I think that reflects in both your films and it is, it is fascinating that the, the kind of the commentary of your films seems to be bringing out an in person's internal reality with the external reality of the world. I mean, that seems like it's become a theme of, of your films in general. Um, would you say that's true or, and what would your comments be on that? Uh, that sounds accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds pretty accurate. Uh, maybe because I'm a Gemini, I don't know. I'm, I don't have the, the, the right answer for that one, but um, I do see it, and especially in the previous one that Miles and I worked on, which was Cartas para Excel, that was also, um, you know, very, very much about dreams and, and the subconscious mind. So maybe that's something that really has always fascinated me, um, sort of reflects in the stories that we that we're telling. I, I think it's super astute. I mean, it's it is it is something that I don't know that we delve into a lot, but it is, you know, certainly a person's internal life and their external life are sometimes equal for, for within a person's psyche. So I think it's, I think it's really a, a great one. Um, the original film uh, or the previous film, Carlos Para Axel is about a successful writer who falls in love with a man that he continuously meets in a dream. Um, and that is about distorting his reality and, um, you know, kind of this relationship that happens virtually in the, your current film, Avevar, and by the way, you act and are in the lead of both those films. Um, in your current film, you're, you are the father of a family who's, demeanor, homophobia, um, machismo um, influences his family and causes it to be dysfunctional. But in the end, he, and not to spoiler alert, um, but he has kind of an epiphany of what, epiphany of what it could have been. Um, for both you and Miles, what, what of the environment that is in um, Avevar is from your own past? Um, so it's actually pretty, it's pretty interesting because in many ways, you know, I did not grow up like this. Um, I grew up very, in a very loving family. Um, you know, my, my dad's side is the Latino side and we're all very, very close. And they're the most passionate, loving people I've ever met, like, you know, just to this day. And, I would say, interestingly enough, a lot of, not all of it, but just some of the little bits in 
you know, the, the family dynamics and things are, are things that I kind of experienced outside of my family and kind of come from some personal experiences that I've had. Um, and I feel like a lot of it is, you know, anger and trauma based and whatnot. And there's, there's things that, you know, you kind of have to end up healing from that really are, are tough things to heal from. And at the same time, you know, there, there's also a lot of love that comes out on the other side of it. And it's just a kind of a mesh of personal experiences and things that we've seen or experienced. Jonathan has um, similar experiences, but at the same time, you know, different experiences than me. But, um, yeah, you know, we do best when we write about things that we know. So this is something that is just kind of very prevalent in many Latino families in particular. So we wanted to touch on that. Yeah, it's I've got quite a few Latino friends that, you know, the way you depicted the family dynamics um is super authentic. I mean, it's, you know, it 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 is poignant and um and I hope inspirational. Um you know, so I I think it's a, an excellent job. Um plus the 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 cinematography in all your films are is just spot on and very much the fabric of the story that you tell in each case um you know where like the you know uh para axel um was sort of dreamlike in its cinematography and in avivar it is you know intimate home you know within different home environments and and the look of the past is different than the look of the present, bright, optimistic past with a kind of darker, more foreboding present. Um, how, how do you approach that? How do you, what is your palette when you start trying to create that environment in your film? You know, it kind of changes for every film. Um, for Cartos para Excel, it was very much so, um, based off of the look of Moonlight and the, the look and feel of her and um, movies that we just kind of pulled from in looking for that, that tone that we were looking for. Um, for Avivado, it was a very different experience trying to build this world because, you know, I don't know, the other day I was thinking about it and I realized we didn't really have many references. Um, so we kind of built from scratch. And I believe for for me, my main thing is making sure that we we create a world. And even if, like in Avivara, it's very um, realistic and not at all. I, I mean, you know, there's aspects that are dreamlike, but you know, at the end of the day, it's all based in reality. And for something like that, um, it's basically just about trying to make sure that that world feels right. And sometimes you don't really know until you, you see it or you are there. And it's like, yes, this is, this is correct. This is the right one. Um, and this is how we want it to kind of feel. Um, I mean, in that film, like it's raining the entire time and it just so happened that it was that one weekend in LA where, you know, we were shooting and it's 
raining the entire time. And instead of um, trying to go, oh, you know, this really sucks, we've leaned into it and have it kind of, um, I guess, really add a lot to the, the ambiance of the film. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of depends for, for every film. But this one was a lot of fun to basically get to, you know, draw our own world from our heads and just, I guess, pull from past experiences with family and whatnot and create that, that visual world from, you know, what we grew up with. Yeah. It's, I mean, you have automatically a very short period of time because it is a short film to present the, the depth and you do it extremely well. Now, you guys first met year, a few years ago when, um, Miles, I think you were brought on to direct scenes for um, an acting reel uh, for Jonathan. What about each other and each other's skill set and talent inspired you each to want to move into this collaborative mode of multiple filmmaking and um, creation together? You want to start, Jonathan? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it was well. First of all, I had a great time when Miles got to got to do those scenes for me. But working with different directors, directing, I think, is like a challenging just task in itself because you're working with different personalities and different, you know, touching more on the psyche and like you know you you touch the wrong chord and, and it sets people off and and it, everybody's so different, but Miles' approach is always very, um, at least with me, it's always very liberating and freeing, and we kind of find it together, and I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, sometimes I feel a little constrained or restrained with, with what I'm doing because people want to um, direct it to, to, to the T, right? Like, like block it, and this is what it is, and and I, I really like the the freedom of spontaneity or allowing the, the scene to, to flow in a certain way and, and each take might be different. Um and yet they still work, but he allows for that and I and I and I love that. I, I had a, a great time in my scenes and, and I was like, I definitely want to work with this guy again. <laughs> so that's how that's how that happened. Yeah, and to piggyback off all of that, um we did a lot of acting reels back in the day, and um, I remember Jonathan was just very, very professional from the from the beginning. And um, when we showed up on set, he had just definitely prepared a lot, and um, his acting was just unbelievable. Like every scene was so different, and he was able to. He was very malleable. And, um, he, he, what I really love about working with Jonathan is that he's very intuitive, especially as an actor. So if you give him a direction, a, a lot of actors might need more of an exact explanation or, um, you know, exact movements, exact, uh, I, I guess even motivation, but Jonathan can kind of take take something that I say metaphorically um, that doesn't exactly tell him, you know, 
this is exactly how I want you to act. And his intuition just kind of leads him very well by taking what I, you know, any example that I gave, gave him and allowing him to really just kind of create his own character within quote unquote certain guidelines, I guess, that you kind of feed to him. And so it's, it's very creative on his part as well. And it's not like you have to just kind of tell them cut and dry, like, this is exactly how I need you to act. Um, Jonathan can really create his own characters very well. Excellent. Now, that's, what you both described was the actor-director relationship. How do you guys collaborate as writers? Because um, it sounds like Jonathan a lot of times gets sort of the inspiration for the the core of the story, but you both collaborate in writing each of the scripts. How does that come together for you? Um, so Jonathan wrote most of Cartas para Excel. Um, I came in after reading it already and um, changed the ending. Uh, the, the ending that he had was great. It was just more in line of like what you would see in a feature film. Um, and I knew with short films, just the structure is kind of different sometimes. And so I talked with him about it and, uh, you know, we, we built that together. Um, and then with Avivar, he created a good portion of the story and kind of started with a very idea based kind of outline of a little bit about what he wanted, you know, to touch on. And then, him and I just sat down and wrote it together pretty much, you know, completely, um, you know, one line for line, I guess we did the entire thing together. And I think during Avivar, I really realized like us being able to write so well together is also because we're good friends. And so we know each other's, you know, next move. We know each other's, um, personalities and uh, I guess beliefs about the world and things like that and so that really really helped in this one by just being able to sit with each other and already kind of know what the other one is thinking um, and it was a lot of fun too to be able to write with one of your best friends you know yeah it's I mean it's the the harmony between you guys is is well it comes through in your work but I mean it it just seems like you guys come to one mind um, pretty fluidly. Now, in the case of this project, um, you had an you you pitched the idea to um, Concord Originals, and part of the deal then was integrating a song. And in your case, it was uh, Tres Dias de Carnaval by uh, Celia Cruz and Johnny Pacheco. Um, what? What did that do for you, integrating the song into your concept? Uh, well, uh, touching on something that you said earlier, uh, Rob, was about music, like um, sparking a memory or, or your imagination. Um, for me, it felt, and I'm sure for Miles as well, and, and Latino family, when you have gatherings, there's always music, right? There's 
salsa or cumbia and, and Pelia Cruz and they're such classics that um you you they're just in the in the in the conscious of the world, right? The consciousness of the world. So it kind of remember it kind of reminded me of when I was growing up, you know, being in that environment and um it just was the perfect link, you know, again for for the past and, and the present. Um for us, and it just really informed the the heart of the story, you know, which which is the the essence of family, and and um and choosing love, you know, choosing to love your family, and and I feel like music always brings people together. Music is just you know inspiring and and, and joyous, and 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 it was also like a fun um, like dynamic of having this joyous song you know play out in the most darkest of, of of the scene you know or the darkest of their times when it's like uh not a very pleasant uh moment and so you know having having to incorporate that was also um interesting for us i think well it it at the end it kind of turns into a character in in its effect on the family and when they kind of dive into it and celebrate it. Um, so it's, you know, in that way, it it um, it, it adds to the the brightness. Um, the film reminded me of, although mostly in I guess concept more than anything else, because obviously the execution very different. But a, a film, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow film, um, Sliding Doors. I don't know if you guys have seen that film. It's Probably ancient history, ancient uh, film history at this point. <laughs> no, I have sliding doors. I have. Yeah, neither have I, but I'm writing it down. I'll definitely check, check it well, out. Yeah, I guess, I guess maybe I'm showing my age, Rob. I remember it. I know it well. <laughs> <laughs> Great, thank you. <laughs> thank God. Uh, I hate to be the only old one in the room. Yeah, no, it's a film where um, the the main character. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow um, has one pivotal moment in her day where she's running to catch a subway and um, in one scenario she catches the subway and off it goes and in the other scenario she misses the subway and is delayed and catches the next one and then two parallel stories are born where her one shows her life had she caught the subway and gotten through the sliding doors. And the other one is if she had not gotten through the sliding doors and not caught the subway until the later thing and how the whole sequence of events dramatically gave her two different lives. Um, so that that's the nature of that film. But that's what I, I saw um, in Avivar in a way that I really hungered to see what through uh, Roberto's imagination of what could have happened with his family, what they would have been like in, in reality, had that been, been, a, been a, a true thing. Um, so I don't know if there was a question in there. It was more of a commentary on, on um, the intrigue that I think you guys created. Um, Miles, you had quite a cast to deal with. Um, in the film, I mean, it was a whole family and everything else. What were your challenges in both casting and directing um, between everybody on on board? 
Oh my God. Um, there's there's so much that was just going on during this this the making of this film in general. Um, and I would say that it, I mean in casting we were really really lucky to have been able to uh, sign some people on from you know a very early stage, and then. Um, with a lot of the ones that we were starting to have difficulty with that were, you know, really important roles, we decided to um, hire Alan Luna, who is a great casting director, and he ended up casting the rest of the, the cast, and that was a great experience because, um, you know, he, he just knows that world so well. He works with so many um, so many actors every single day, just you know, sending sending him tapes and things like that. And so we ended up getting tons of tapes from him and got to go through and, and kind of have our pick at the ones that we wanted. Um, so that was really awesome and, and helpful as well in finding um, some of those roles that we were having difficulty with. And I would say then during during filming, honestly, the the best thing about this cast is that they all got along so well and were working together so well and were very open to um, just collaborating and, and feeding off of each other and whatnot. And so I was honestly very jealous while, like, I'd be, you know, busy doing something and I'd hear them all laughing in the other room, like, <laughs> playing music, having a great time. And I was like, dang, man, I wish I could be with them right now. Um so yeah, that was really great, and um, they all took direction very well, and we just got very, very lucky um, with the vibe that was created on set, and yeah, you know, it was a breeze directing each of them. I I would just have to step away for a sec, reset how I was thinking, because the last scene was a totally different feel and whatnot, and then be like, all right, let's jump into the next one, and it worked out very well. It, no, it it was quite a coordination, and you know, it's. I think one of the challenges in a short film is having characters stand out and be clear, and you know, they're plus the the relationships that they convey, and all of that was was there in spades in, in the film. Um, Jonathan, you're you had quite a challenge. I mean, you were playing. Um, a younger man and then him old and dying. And I mean, it was quite a departure from um, Cardus Paracel where you were, you know, a young, beautiful man. And what, um, what did that take for you to, to ride that, uh, um, all those different mindsets and emotions? You know what's really funny, actually? I, or, I originally, I remember I told Miles, I was like, he asked me, he's like, so who would you want to play? And I, I actually had said Antonio, like his son. And and Miles is like, well, you know, I think, I mean, he, he was right, but he was like, I think you should do Roberto because you get to showcase, like, you know, just two sides of, of, uh, of the coin, right? Because he has that switch at the end. Um, and I was like, I was still kind of like, you know, I was like, no, I kind of I kind of want to do Antonio. And, and Miles is like, well, let's do something. He's like, why don't you go and do a, a self-tape for each and then send them to me and we'll take a look at them and then we'll decide. So <laughs> it, it was kind of it was kind of funny. But um, he was right. You know, I, I, 
Roberto was definitely the most interesting uh, one for me at this at this um, stage in, in my life. And um, when we were shooting, um, you know, the flashback scene before he has the switch, uh, be- before we would or Miles would yell at and I, I remember I couldn't even look at the kids because we got to work with all these these young talented kids. Um, I couldn't look at them in the eye because I just felt so, you know, just enraged and just um, I was just channeling kind of some some pretty dark and heavy heavy subject matter and and I, I remember I couldn't I couldn't even look at them. I was like I, I it was just um, I felt kind of like embarrassed or something. So. Of course, as soon as action goes, we have to do our job. And, and when, when we say cut, you know, I would do my best to, like, hug the kiddos and, you know, be as nice as I, as, as I am. But um, it was challenging. It was very challenging um, um, getting to, to get in the mindset of, of someone that's um, fearful at the end of the day, you know, and just has a lot of hatred and and I had to also kind of build his story of where he came from and Miles helped with that right what was his upbringing and and what was his father like or you know how how did he come to be this this man and um so it it was very challenging uh luckily we ended with the with the with the switch you know that was the last day of shooting um and that was a ton of fun so I was able to leave Roberto on on a happy note um, and then with the uh, with the makeup and the prosthetics, that really just informed my whole body, like my just uh, my demeanor, even when I was speaking with people and and the way they would look at me when I was in in the restroom by myself and I saw myself in the mirror. It was it was um it was like an existential moment or something, you know, just like seeing myself at that age, just because uh, the the makeup artist did such a phenomenal job with it. So um, it was interesting. I don't feel like I had to do much i was very filled with emotion when 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 i was surrounded by by the casting of my family in that moment and so that came very easily the the a wonderful actress that played um my um wife uh elder elder wife blanca she's phenomenal and she just was giving so much that that just that always just like helps you as an actor because then you're in that moment you know with 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 your, with the people that you're with and it turns into not an acting you know exercise it's just like what you're living and going through so that one i felt like was just a little bit um easier i guess uh to 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 do um especially with the makeup yeah it's and i want to say both the actresses that played your wife when younger and older i thought were phenomenal because they both exuded motherhood at those different ages just you know with without even speaking it was like their their manner and their their demeanor and their everything they projected was just so so completely effective so i want to ask you guys um you you have shared before in other interviews that um you want to have the audience walk out with the same feeling that you have over your films that they you want them to get what you intended for them to get when you make the films. What is that with uh, this film, and what do you hope their reaction will be? I would say, I would say with this one, it's really just hoping that they feel inspired, um, a little cautioned as well as, uh, you know, the effect that you have on 
those around you. Um, and the music really has a lot to do with it as well, in my opinion. Um, Tresias de Carnaval is such a, like, it's such a festive song and it's such a lively um, song that just really brings out, like, the idea of community and family and, um, you know, it really makes you just want to get up and dance and I feel like it's the best way to describe the feeling that I hope people get from the film is because there's just not really a specific word for it. Um, it's very much so just this feeling of, you know what, like there's, there's, there's nothing that we can't do together and there's no reason to not love one another um celebrate together celebrate everybody's differences everybody's um respect for each other you know things like that and yeah just i guess think about their own actions a little bit more wonderful how about you yeah, jonathan that, what what are you hoping for yeah i'm uh i'm echoing everything that miles felt about that was beautifully put and um you know especially in the in the time that we're living in right now, you know, with all the all the news, everything that's happening. And at one point, it felt like this story might, you know, be a little outdated, but the reality is that it's not, you know, it's still things that are happening in this moment, you know, still people living in fear and um, within the core of the family, you know, and um, just the other day, my uncle posted something, you know, that was just, my mom was outraged because it was like, what a family should be, a man and a woman. And it, my mom's like, you know, because of that, like, young kids aren't allowed to come out and feel comfortable being who they are. Um, you know, even he, he has young kids, so we, we don't know how that's going to turn out. But um, so, yeah, so I, I think it's, it's choosing love, you know, choosing to, to love, love uh, your family and, and, and friends and, 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 and the young ones, right, that are the future, the young ones, because, um, yeah, our actions um, have reactions. Our actions have, um, what's the word I'm looking for, ripple effect? Of some sort. Right. So um, I, I hope that they that they walk out with that. Well, I have to say, having watched it and being a, a dad, um, I have two sons that um, we adopted as babies, um, and they're both 20 years old now. Um, but that that was the feeling I had was hoping that that I danced enough with my boys when they were little that that's what affected them in their new and young adult lives now. So um, uh, score on that. Uh, for, for me personally, it was a score for you guys uh, on that. I, I do want to pivot that question, though, a little bit over to Charlie, though. Um, Charlie, you know, with the three films and the intentions um, between Con uh, of Concord in producing them, what, what effect do you hope the, the three of them have um, on the Outfest audience and beyond? Gosh, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, each of the three films, you know, as, as is any right work of art or extensions of the artist, I, I think they're all, they're all quite different because each of the filmmakers are different. I, I suppose to the extent that there's something unifying, I think that it's the films that are each such a kind of um, 
pure distillation of each of the filmmakers' perspectives. And I think that's come up in this conversation, like we talked about authenticity and it feeling like, you know, true to, true to these people, these characters, these cultures and so on. So I think that the, the unifying thing I would walk away with having watched all three is like just kind of being um, able to visit upon each of these three worlds and these three perspectives and understand even just a little more than maybe I might have having not seen them, the experience of each of the, the filmmakers and, and I guess how, how they each see and move through the world. I don't know. It's not kind of a vague answer, but I think, um, yeah, I think each of the filmmakers did such a great job of, you know, putting themselves and their perspectives in the work. And I think that's what I take from it. Yeah. It's, I mean, I have to say what I took from them was I loved seeing the representation because each uh, brings out a different representation from um, black to lesbian, not the, and, and black lesbian. So not not that they weren't black because they were also as well. Um, and uh, Latinx, um, you know, and and the cultures of each because um, they they all came through. So it it was a richness to me of of experiencing each one of those. Um, we are starting to run out of time, so I do want to do some quick house cleaning. Where can people see these films? Well, I believe our screening um, on Saturday at Outfest may be sold out, but there's always a standby line. Um, they're also going to be available for virtual screen- screening. So um, if, you're, if you're desperate to see them soon, which you should be, <laughs> you can um, get a badge to, to experience Outfest virtually and um, you know, if you check the, check the fine print, I'm sure that gets you access to all sorts of amazing films that are playing as part of the festival. Um, so that's, that's your best bet. And then as for the larger, um, pick the ongoing picture, you know, we're, we're working at the moment on festival opportunities and distribution opportunities, so there'll be more to come. Um, oh, I thought maybe that's a good parlay, Jonathan Miles, for you to kind of shout out where people can find you, because I'm sure um, you'll each be, be shouting out where the film's available in the future too. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're both on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is miles underscore Lopez, and we'll definitely be, you know, keeping everybody updated on there as to what festivals we're at and um, hopefully where we have distribution and that they can see it later on. So, yeah, that's my Instagram handle, Jonathan. Uh, yeah, and mine is uh, John, J-O-N underscore de la Torre underscore. Um, that's my excellent handle. Yeah. Thank you. Guys, guys, thank you so much. We are literally out of time. Um, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. And thank you for coming on today. Um, it's been a pleasure. And definitely, if you're going to Outfest, take part in this film. You know, get on the waiting list, however you have to see it. Um, you need to see it. Um, for those of us that rated LGBT radio, we thank you for tuning in. Please do subscribe. Tell your friends we're available everywhere that podcasts are available. And also read the Los Angeles Blade at losangelesblade.com. We will be back again next week with another fabulous show. I promise you, I have no idea what it is, but I can promise you fabulosity. And uh, we look to talking to you then. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.